Hey folks, um, welcome to the Interdependence Network. I'm Al Condalusi, and uh, this is the You Can Call Me Al podcast. Um, wanted to um, uh, tell you a little bit about the Interdependence Network and its founding, and uh, I'm here with uh, two of the other founders of the Interdependence Network, uh, Jeff Fromneck uh, and Jamie Curran. And uh, let me let me though set the stage for the uh, the founding of the Interdependence Network, and then both Jeff and Jamie can sort of weigh in in terms of uh, the, the the role that they've played. Uh, like any like any network or coalition, the Interdependence Network really did have a um, uh, a founding, and and that goes all the way back to really essentially uh, uh, 1990 when. Uh, uh, I, I, I uh, was uh, fresh out of graduate school and, and was, was uh, providing services to folks with disabilities in Pittsburgh at uh, our, our organization, CLASS, which uh, an acronym stands for Community Living and Support Services, and, and was frustrated with uh, the kinds of typical things that were available to folks with disabilities. And, and, and I, I expressed my frustration in a book that was published in 1991. The book, bu- the book was, uh, was titled Interdependence, The Route to Community. And in that book, um, really articulated that the key to people's inclusion in the community is really not found in, in what we do for them, but is found more in how the community embraces people and, and wrote about this sort of micro to macro shift um, when that book came out in 1991, it, it received some attention and led to um, me being invited to speak about interdependence as a philosophy or as a concept. And, and, and the philosophy was sort of uh, different than the driving philosophy of rehabilitation, which is independence. So most of rehabilitation efforts try to make people independent, try to get people to uh, be able to do things and to uh, be more autonomous in their skills. And um, I, I always found that short-sighted and, and, and really not reflective of what community really is about. Community is really about you know, the coming together of people with various levels of skills, helping each other, supporting each other, and creating a more vibrant whole through, uh, through this sort of interdependent participation. And so I started to speak out on this, and, and, uh, and, 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 and people became engaged. And I began to discover there were a lot of like-minded people uh, that were doing things that were more interdependent focused than independently focused and and that really jazzed me as well and uh, so two of the people that that uh, I had the uh, good fortune of meeting along this path um, are Jeff Romnick. Uh, Jeff at the time was a graduate student working on his master's and was very very excited about this concept very intrigued by it and in fact Jeff and I had the Great pleasure of working together for for many years as as colleagues at class, um, and also early on I I, I met Jamie Curran. I met Jamie at a conference uh, somewhere in upstate New York, and 
Jamie uh, came from Community Living Mississauga, which is a really forward-thinking organization that was thinking about interdependence um, well before you know they they ever got introduced to me, and so. Uh, together, the three of us began to, uh, to to think more about this and how can we get greater exposure. And so um, in 2006, uh, we had the, uh, the opportunity, we were, in, uh, we were presented with the opportunity to write a, a journal or to, or to edit a journal that would look at interdependence as an issue and relationships and community and social capital. And so we participated in finding other like-minded colleagues around the country, and we invited them to write. And we, we, uh, the journal came out in 2006, the Journal of Vocational Rehabilitation, Volume 3, in 2006, with uh, an introduction to this broader concept of interdependence. And that was really the birth of the interdependence network. The authors of that journal, uh, the, uh, the articles in the journal, became the sort of the focal point. So Jeff, Jamie, myself, and some of our other colleagues around the United States and Canada um, began to meet on, on a regular basis and talk more about how we could promote macro change through, uh, the, uh, through a network approach. And so the, the Interdependence Network is founded. You can find us at, uh, at uh, www.buildingsocialcapital.org. Um, and over the ensuing years, the network did a whole variety of things. We, uh, we began to do some symposiums. We got funding to bring in like-minded people to talk about macro change through relationships and through social capital. We, we actually did research uh, that led way to um, a wonderful article that, were, that was published in the Canadian Journal of Disability Studies in 2016. That article uh, where we worked cooperatively and collaboratively with uh, the University of Toronto in Mississauga um, really began to um, expose the, um, the disconnection that people with disabilities have in greater community opportunities. Uh, and so what we wanted to do is talk a little bit about the network, what we've done, and really more where we're planning to go. So Jeff Fromneck, Jamie Kern, welcome to this podcast, uh, You Can Call Me Al. Jeff, tell me a little bit about uh, your perspective of the founding of uh, the Interdependence Network. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here with you and Jamie today. And, you know, I got involved in the network uh, as, as an intern, you know, sort of helping with some of the editing of the articles that we did for the Journal of Vocational Rehabilitation. And that was really an interesting and, and exciting opportunity for me as an intern to see perspectives from other, other countries, other organizations, because, you know, I had really only seen two perspectives uh, in my work. I had seen a Shelter workshop perspective, mm-hmm. and I saw the perspective that class had, which yeah. was you know trying to get folks engaged in the community. So, um, being able to see how this idea relates to other uh, other human service organizations, other other groups, you know, a lot of the articles were about brain injury and brain injury rehabilitation, right. not just developmental right. disabilities. Um, and you know, writing is sometimes can be a, a, a task, but 
everyone that was involved, you know, Jamie and Patty Flaherty, and you know, I'm looking through the list. David Dida, who was a parent. Yeah. Um, we we had some folks from the Ark of Monroe County, Dr. Williams. Uh, they were all excited about what they were writing about and excited to share. And some of the most, um, I thought one one of the things I got out of the, the experience was that you know reading the articles was great, but. The time we spent on the phone mm -hmm. with, each, with the authors, yes. sort of yeah. listening to what they were trying to, to convey in right. their writing, uh, was great. And anytime you know the whole group got on a phone call together, mm -hmm. there was just a lot of energy and a lot yeah. of excitement. And yeah. so it seemed to make sense once we did that, that special edition of the Journal of Vocational Rehab to continue to meet and continue to, to, to use that energy that this group had to, like you said, share ideas, um, you know, we met, I think, the first time in Chicago, and we shared some ideas, but we also shared some challenges. Mm -hmm. And I think that mm -hmm. was a, a good opportunity for everyone in the group to have a safe yeah. place to say, yeah, we, we like this, and, and we're for this, and we want to try to help people build relationships, but it's hard. Yeah. And it doesn't always work. Right. And for the other people in the group to validate that mm -hmm. and to say, yeah, yeah, we know it's hard, too, and we've, we've struggled with that. Yeah. And, it seemed like each group was somewhere along their path uh, towards this inclusion, mm -hmm. you know, ideal. But everyone was somewhere different. Mm -hmm. You know, Jamie's group was maybe a little bit further ahead than mm -hmm. than uh, you know than our group or whatever. But it was nice to have that perspective mm -hmm. of, hey, we've dealt with that challenge, yeah. and here's how we've done it. Yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, which I, I thought was was fantastic, yeah. and and. That in and of itself, that meeting, the first meeting that we had in Chicago, mm -hmm. um, you know, was was enough. And we didn't we didn't have funding for that meeting. Everyone right. came on their mm -hmm. own, right. and I think we met a few times after that. And the meetings were really mm -hmm. just opportunities mm -hmm. to connect, yeah. and talk, right. and uh, share ideas and resources. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you know, I think that's what we've tried to turn the network into mm -hmm. is a, a virtual sort of hub. To share and disseminate information. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's an exciting. You know, there's something exciting and effervescent, and romantic even about uh, the notion of forging some new trails and uh, and finding some some new paths. And and as you just articulated, uh, Jeff, through your own experience, that that the history of disability supports have really been congregative and institutional in nature. You mentioned sheltered workshops. Uh, those were best practices at the time. But, but I think the frustration and then the excitement that came with people saying, no, no, there's got to be a better way. There's got, there's, there, there, there has to be something better. And, and that really um, uh, you know, gets us to, uh, to Jamie. Jamie Curran from uh, Community Living Mississauga up in Canada. Jamie, talk a little bit about your... Uh, introduction to all this, and you know, uh, when when you when you and I met, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think that goes back uh, probably around 2006. Yeah, 2006, early on in 2006, yeah. when we first met, I yeah. actually was uh, invited by a colleague from Welland, Ontario, mm -hmm. to see you mm -hmm. to watch you speak at a mm -hmm. at a conference, and it was just like a one day conference, mm -hmm. and. I attended with the Debbie Moffat, mm -hmm. the, our our director of yes, quality Debbie, and community sure. development. And we were just at a, at a point where we're a very forward-thinking organization, and we've done a lot of work around person-centered planning, mm -hmm. and, 
we were very aware of all the things we did really well. Like we're an organization that's really strong in all of our basic assurances, all of our health and safety and our advocacy and our rights. But the areas that we really still struggled with, like everybody else, I think, is the idea of supporting people to build relationships. Yes. Like we knew that people didn't have friends and right. people didn't see their family as much as they wanted. And we knew that people didn't have valued roles in their community or maybe weren't working as often as they wanted to or as much as they wanted to. But we really didn't have a path forward. Mm-hmm. So when we first met you, we were like, this is a path. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. idea of building social mm-hmm. capital and mm-hmm. <clears throat> and moving forward really resonated with our association. So we'd had you come out and do some staff training with mm-hmm. us. And then you invited me on yeah. to, to write an article. And that was really my, my first introduction. So yeah. it really came along at that, that perfect time where we were looking for something new. And it just really resonated with all and with all of our organization. Yeah, yeah. And I know from those first initial meetings and trainings that staff were really refreshed because mm-hmm. we had been doing stuff for so long and mm-hmm. they needed a new fresh voice, a new fresh idea. Yeah. And yeah. there's a lot of support staff that really just grabbed it yeah. by the horns and yeah. went for it. And yeah, yeah. we've seen some great results as as a Yeah. Excellent excellent. You know, community living Mississauga has really been a you know, a, uh, a leader in, um, in articulating and looking at inclusion in the community. But, you know, one of the things you just said, Jamie, that, that I think the network took on early on was uh, that the three of us certainly know, and I think anybody listening to this podcast that has experience uh, in disability services know that folks with, uh, with significant disabilities are disconnected they're, they're lonely they they don't have friendships uh, or as many friendships as probably the three of us have and you know we all knew that anecdotally um, in our experience base but there was really no data that corroborated or, or showed that and as we looked at the literature as we tried to give efficacy to the network we discovered that there no studies had actually been done. And so we embarked in a study, I guess it was around 2013, where we got the partner agencies from, uh, from the network to begin to explore uh, the connectedness of the people they served in their agencies. And there were six organizations from around Canada and the United States that, that got together. We looked at 250 people with disabilities being served. And we were really fortunate to have the University of Toronto in Mississauga as a, as a statistical partner to really help us, um, uh, help us forge that. But one of the exciting parts of that study, and Jeff, I think you were really at the core of this, was when we found the uh, social capital benchmarking survey that was developed at Harvard University by Robert Putnam. And I remember you found that, and, 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 and you, know, you came to me, and we sat down, and we said, oh, my God, there's, a, there's, a, there's an instrument that measures community engagement. Can you talk a little bit about that instrument and that yeah. founding? I mean, I think you know, we, one of the things as a network, you know, after we did the article and we had met a few times, one of the, the conversations went to, all right, we get it. We're all trying mm-hmm. to do this. What can we do together? And, and there's not a lot that you can do together when you're in seven different cities, different yeah. countries. But one of the things we thought as a network, we can come to some shared understanding mm-hmm. of our outcomes, yes. of how we're going to measure our outcomes mm-hmm. and how we're going to track that. 
And so we started, you know, you, you sort of sent me on a, a research assignment mm -hmm. to look to see what, what tools were out there, right? Yeah. We didn't want to reinvent the right. wheel. We're not researchers. Right. We wanted to find an existing tool that looked at social capital or looked at relationships and connections. And so we, you know, we found a few. We, we sort of used a sociogram right. approach right. And, right. and some other approaches that had been used in the developmental disabilities literature. Mm -hmm. But we didn't want something that was disability focused right. because our whole our whole concept right. was to be inclusive. Exactly. And so we didn't want a tool that was just going to look at people with disabilities. We wanted to we wanted to be able to compare some of this data to the rest right. of of the population. So we began to to search through the internet. And we we found um, you know the the social capital benchmark right. survey from Robert mm -hmm. Putnam, who had mm -hmm. written the book Bowling Alone, mm -hmm. which was very influential, mm -hmm. I think, in in your work mm -hmm. and in the network's work. Um, and so we. You know, we downloaded a copy and we, we sort of shared that mm -hmm. with the network and began to sort of look through it and say, you know, this is an established survey mm -hmm. that's been used, mm -hmm. that's somewhat validated mm -hmm. uh, and reliable, and that has comparability data mm -hmm. across the whole United States mm -hmm. that we can, you know, compare to. Now, it's not going to be a perfect comparison, right. but we can begin to look at how well are our agencies doing compared to the rest of America, basically, when it comes to relationship building. And so that tool, you know, I, I think was a turning point and, and the, the network agreeing to that tool, agreeing to the basic idea of these are the types of things that we're going to measure mm -hmm. to, you know, to, to demonstrate that people are engaged or people have social capital. So that survey looked at things like associational involvement. Mm -hmm. You know, what types of groups are you, are you involved in? But not just groups that you're involved in, you know, do you have a leadership role in the group? Do you know other people in the group? How many people in the group can you wave to? Mm -hmm. It looked at, you know, some just simple questions, you know, like how many of your neighbors' names do you know? Right. Right. You know, that's something that a lot of us take for granted. I don't take it for granted anymore having, having moved. It's a little bit different perspective now. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it, it, it was a very simple, I thought, mm -hmm. survey that looked at just mm -hmm. normal, everyday stuff that a lot of times when we were talking about relationship building, you know, we, we maybe tend to overthink it mm -hmm. or try to get too complex. And this survey really just looked at, you know, what are you, where are you belong, right, what right. types of formal groups do you belong to, the YMCA, the right, bowling right, league, right, uh, right. golf leagues, what type of informal groups do you, do you belong to, bars, uh, local local neighborhood mm -hmm. groups, just informal mm -hmm. things. Um, you know, and then where do you work? Who do you know at work? Mm -hmm. Where do you play? Who do you know there? Mm -hmm. um, you know, where do you, you know, and, and then just in your neighborhood, yeah. how many people do you know? And that, I felt like that neighborhood question, and you, Jamie, I don't know if you have anything to add. That neighborhood question, though, when we brought that to the rest of the right. group and, and even to our mm -hmm. internal yeah. team at right. class right. was something that, like, made people, like, oh, Wow. Yeah. That is And I, so I use data from that survey today in mm -hmm. our staff training and development. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. one of the, the data points when you say I say how many people here have been invited into your neighbor's home? Mm -hmm. And by home I mean onto their front porch right. for their co right. a coffee, into the backyard for a beer. Yeah. Like right. and the amount of people that can raise their hand and say yes and you compare it to the data that we right. collected. Yeah. And when you, when you talk about people have been living in the same home for 5, 10, 15 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and no, they've never been connected to a neighbor. Right. Yeah. You're, you're, I mean, you're right. It was, it was really, Jeff, a brilliant uh, 
simple yet elegant uh, kind of tool that really captured the kinds of things that we did not know in an empirical way right. about, about folks with disabilities that when we then decided to roll out a project, um, we, uh, we, had, we had the stepstone to make that happen. And, and the one, you know, uh, Jamie, you were just talking about a couple of the indices and things that you still use at, uh, at, 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 at Community Living Mississauga. But one of the face-slapping findings in that study, and by the way, the study um, was published in an article called uh, Somewhere to Live, Something to Do, Someone to Love, which was published in the Canadian Journal of Disability Studies in December of 2016. So if you want to search that out, you can do that. And, and, and I think when you look at this, this article, what, what really is powerful, and as Jeff alluded to, it compares what we found with 250 folks with disabilities to what people like Robert Putnam and other sociologists in Canada found generically. And the most face-slapping uh, data to me was one question on that survey, and you guys will remember this, uh, the question was something like, I don't have it in front of me, but it was something like, do you have somebody in your life that you're bonded with um, that is not a blood relative? You know, somebody that you uh, now are leading your life with and, 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 and they, they're, they're significantly important to you. When Robert Putnam asked that question with that survey in the United States, when they did the Saguaro seminar series, discovered that close to 82% of the respondents said yes to that, yes, they have somebody. And, and as we sit here discussing this today, you know, Jamie, uh, you know, in your life, uh, you know, your, your, your wonderful wife and your family and your, you know, you know your, your, your uh, uh, friends, uh, Jeff, same, same with you, both in Florida as well as in Pennsylvania, where you, where you, uh, where you practice, uh, and, and of course with me as well. 82% of people said yes to that. When we asked that to 250 people with disabilities, um, the, the response was exactly the opposite. Yeah. Like 20% of the respondents said they had somebody that they could love in their lives. And, um, and so that article, that 2016 article in the Canadian Journal of Disability Studies is a landmark achievement of the Interdependence Network by, by now showing the deficits. Um, but I'd like to segue quickly, Jamie, to, to you. You, you, were, you were talking about um, the pathway, you know, finding a pathway for your, uh, your staff that was invigorating and it was novel and it really, um, and, and one of the things that, I, I, that I've been really uh, intrigued by in terms of your work in, in, in Canada is your connection to CQL and what some of the uh, approaches that we're taking through, uh, uh, through the interdependence network and through uh, this notion of social capital. How does uh, the kinds of things we're finding interface with the challenges that you find in CQL? Define CQL yeah. and yeah, CQL talk a little bit about it. CQL is the Council for Quality and Leadership. Mm -hmm. And they, one of the the programs or one of the offerings they have is the personal outcome measure, which is a accreditation process that measures the quality of life of people mm -hmm. who you support and the quality of support that you provide. Right. So we've been using the council like mm -hmm. CQL since 1996. Right. 
We went through our first accreditation review in 1997. We have gone through our second review in 2003. Currently, I'm certified as a reliable in-house trainer and in-house interviewer with the council. And two of the two of the support staff that work on my team are both certified right. train or interviewers with the council. Mm-hmm. But what the council does is they do an accreditation piece, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. a quality assurance measurement. It's very good. And it's very accurate, and it's we it resonates with us because it's very steeped in in our values on social role valorization and respect, and so it works really well for us. But the challenge that we had as in using them is that the council is really good at identifying what we did really well and the things we needed to work on, but that's really where it ends. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's no map forward. Like, they talk to us as a consultant, mm-hmm. and we talk about areas that we can improve on and have some discussions, but where the Interdependence Network differed was that it gave us a map, an mm-hmm. idea that we can move forward with. Mm-hmm. So I really see that the, the council and the personal outcome measures go hand-in-hand hand with the stuff that we're doing with the network yeah. because we can move forward yeah. And, and still have two measurements that we can use now. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost like an inter-rater reliability right. that's developed yeah. when we use uh, the survey and when we use uh, our yeah. data from the personal yeah. outcome measures. That's really powerful. Yeah. And, you know, in, in the United States, we have a kind of a complementary, instead of CQL, we have CARF. Yeah, we have that's, CARF as well. Yeah. And, 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 you know, our organization at CLASS just went through a CARF survey. Yeah. And, and the things that we've been doing that really that we've honed through the Interdependence Network has been so helpful to our CARF accreditation yeah. process. So I think the moral to the story and, and the overview of the network is the vibrancy that's out there yeah. in the collegiality. The Interdependence Network is a, is a, um, a platform, a community of practice platform. That if you join, if you're you're listening to this podcast and you're you're intrigued by these kinds of things and you're searching for either tools or approaches or strategies, the Interdependence Network really offers you some wonderful templates and some real possibilities in moving your organization forward or your agenda forward. Um, and joining the network is uh, very easy to do. Uh, there's, there's no cost to joining the network. If you just go to our website, www.buildingsocialcapital.org, what you'll find is an opportunity to, to, to sign up and to join us in this process. Uh, we really feel, I think, passionately about the notion that community engagement and true inclusion is a macroscopic challenge, not a microscopic fix the disability challenge. And the network really stands ready to, uh, to welcome you uh, to this process. We have more research we want to do. We have more strategies we want to build. We want to have conversations and symposia uh, that we sponsor um, that will get us to those goals. So, Jeff, just some parting thoughts as we get ready to, uh, to end this podcast. What, what do you see as a vision for, for the network down the road? Yeah, well, I think we want to, you know, we definitely want to encourage people to sign up and to participate and to share. You know, a lot of times people ask us, well, what does it mean to be a part of the network? Well, it means that we're, we want you to share your experiences with us. We want you to share your the, the positives, the success stories. We want you to share what hasn't worked, what you've tried. Um, and we're also here as a, as a resource, right? If you go to our website, 
It has a ton of uh, tips and, mm. and uh, fact sheets and, and strategy documents and templates that other people, I mean, a lot of them have been developed by Jamie, so I, I want to give most of the credit to Jamie, but there's some other that have been developed by some other folks too, but there's just a lot of tools there that you can take and make your own. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not suggesting you have to do it our way. Right. We're really just trying to provide you with uh, a way to get started, mm -hmm. right? Because we hear a lot of times, oh, it's great. Yeah, people should have relationships, but how? Yeah. Well, this yeah. is an idea. This yeah. might not and be the only way. That was the same way. question that all of our support staff had. Right, 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 right. Jamie, what's your thoughts for the vision for the network as we move uh, down the road? Yeah, I, I think I agree with both of you. But mm -hmm. it's, it's looking at, at the network as a way for for everyone to be able to contribute and share resources. Because mm -hmm. I find that if you if you find that you have a, a struggle or a barrier that you're that you're reaching, uh, you're having trouble getting over, then if you're trying to do it, someone else has probably tried it before. Yes. And they may have a strategy that can help out. Yeah. Yeah. So if we can come together and share those resources, we can help us all move forward. Ah, there you have it. Yeah. One, one last piece to this vision for the future is really uh, with families. Uh, parents um, and the primary stakeholders, um, the, the Interdependence Network really offers a platform for stakeholders, for family members, for, uh, for professionals, for advocates uh, who are interested in seeing their sons and daughters and people that they support or people that they care for uh, as successful as can possibly be uh, in the community. So I want to I thank uh, Jamie Curran from Community Living uh, Mississauga. I want to thank Jeff Fromnick from Side Project um, uh, as, uh, as, as, as guests in this podcast. But mostly I want to thank you uh, for, for tuning in, for kind of listening to this, and, and hopefully uh, for becoming uh, down the road a colleague with us in this process. I'm Al Condalusi, and you're listening to You Can Call Me Al. Thanks so much. Have a great day.